Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Once upon a time, not so long ago, a doctor led a campaign against a vaccine. The campaign grew and grew, and then he was rumbled. I was sitting there one day in my lawyer's uh, offices reading summary documents from Wakefield's research and I spotted within those evidence that he'd falsified the diagnoses. It's 16 years since Dr Andrew Wakefield was first exposed by a Sunday Times journalist. But just as the world waits for news of a successful anti-Covid vaccine, he appears to be back. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, the doctor, the journalist and the jabs. I've spent most of my career reporting for The Sunday Times of London, as we call it here in London. That's Brian Deer, investigative reporter. I've spent God knows how many years on and off looking at the whole issue of vaccine scares. But perhaps his most celebrated work was when he examined very closely a claim that one vital vaccine had terrible consequences for some children. Particularly the scare that took off in the 1990s and the 2000s from a hospital in London where Dr Andrew Wakefield made what are now notorious claims alleging a link between the MMR vaccine and autism. This month has seen the publication of Brian's book on what he discovered. It's called The Doctor Who Fooled the World, Andrew Wakefield's War on Vaccines. For Brian, this story begins on what he describes as a nice late summer day in 2003. I was walking from Buckingham Palace up to uh, Trafalgar Square where I was going for lunch and on the left-hand side at the Institute for Contemporary Arts I saw this drama documentary called Hear the Silence. To be broadcast that autumn, Hear the Silence was described as a dramatised account of the work that British gastroenterologist Andrew Wakefield had done five years earlier in 1998. Wakefield's work, now debunked, was published in the prestigious journal The Lancet and seemed to point to a possible link between the MMR vaccine and children developing autism. And I thought, well, that's that's something I could uh, pop in to see. The film focuses on the story of a heroic mother who believes her son's autism is caused by the MMR vaccine, 
battling an incompetent and apathetic medical establishment to get help for her child. Well, have you, uh, have you spoken to the GP? An emotional performance by Juliet Stevenson. All right, well, I'll be there as quick as I can. Opposite Downton's Hugh Bonville. At both. Who plays the empathic Dr Andrew Wakefield. First jab and a booster. That's right. The man who finally believes her and then does the research to prove her right. But the second floored him. The film sparked Brian Deere's curiosity and led him to uncover one of the biggest scientific scandals of our times. It was basically bullshit. And Brian Deere's work has immediate relevance because as the world awaits a vaccine for COVID-19, the anti-vax movement appears to be gaining momentum again. To understand how all this happened, we need to go back to the 1980s and the arcane world of gastroenterology. Guts, to put it bluntly. In that world, to great excitement, two Australians had discovered the cause of stomach ulcers. Andrew Wakefield, at that time a researcher in the field, wanted to do the same for Crohn's disease, a debilitating disorder that can lead to the removal of parts of the bowel and shorten life expectancy. He was trying to find the cause of that, and he lightened on this idea that the cause was measles virus, common measles virus. And that was his big idea, that uh, measles virus caused Crohn's disease. But the trouble was, to prove that, he would really need to catch the bug in the gut and say, well, look, we found the measles virus in the gut. The patient has Crohn's disease, and here's the connection. Now, that would be a very tough ask because in these particular cases, you're talking about uh, intubating children and uh, parents just wouldn't let you do that on a research hypothesis. And Crohn's disease was itself very uncommon among children. So he could have been he could have been 15, 20 years waiting to get enough cases to ever evidence that hypothesis, which I should say to a bit of a spoiler, turned out to be wrong. But then in the late 90s, Wakefield gets a phone call. It's a mother who can give him access to members of anti-vaccine groups willing to get their children involved with his research. She started to recommend, as did the anti-vaccine group who recommended her, recommend that parents of children with autism and other uh, developmental disorders should, should send their child to him. And that's where he got the patients sufficient to try and test his hypothesis that measles vaccine caused Crohn's disease. But no luck, he couldn't find a link. So he changed tack. When he failed to make progress on Crohn's disease, he moved off into autism because by that time he'd been hired by a firm of lawyers to make a case that the MMR vaccine caused autism. At the time when he did, he was doing this, he was publishing it, people didn't know any That's of right. this. So all they knew was that he presents himself and his paper at a press conference at the Royal Free Hospital in Hampstead and essentially seems to be suggesting that he's looked at these kids, he's examined them, and he's found, he says, a link between MMR and autism. That's more or less what he says. That's right. And this was based on these 12, study of these 12 kids. So at that moment, what impact did that research have when it was published? What then happens in 1998? They really pulled out the, the, the stops to ensure they got absolute maximum publicity for this thing. They wired in special phones for 
journalists to call their desk. This was before mobiles were like in everybody's pocket in quite the way they are now. They had a rehearsal of what they were going to do. And the upshot was a tremendous amount of media coverage. Every uh, national TV network covered the story that night. And then most newspapers, The Guardian did the most coverage actually the next day. They did three stories setting off this idea that there was a link between the MMR vaccine and autism. This is incredibly important, not least because parents have to have confidence in public health measures like mass vaccination. So when you do something like this, it's like throwing a bomb into a hospital ward, really, isn't it? It eventually became wall to wall with with particular newspapers such as the Mail Group, Daily Mail and the Mail on Sunday, and uh, Telegraph Group as well, becoming really, really staunch campaigners over this. Some people have said the whole thing was a media hoax, but I've never yet heard of a a journalist being accused of um, dishonesty. I think journalists were as, as conned as everybody else was. If you're a journalist, and it's not necessarily your area of expertise, and then a hospital has a press conference at which they seem to be giving their support to a researcher who says something like this, it's a really brave journalist, isn't it? Or knowledgeable journalist who says, no, I don't believe a word of it. Well, I think it'd be a very brave journalist, a very untypical one, because when you think about it, the idea that vaccines injure children is, from a journalistic point, and in quotes, a great story. You have got a situation where you've got both fear, public fear of the vaccine. You've got victims of the vaccine. So you've got a sense of pity. And you might remember your Aristotle. Fear and pity are the great motivators in drama. And then then once you've told that story you and, and campaigned on that story, you then see a decline in vaccination rates. You see outbreaks of infectious disease. And there you've got another great story. You've got these disease which can kill your children. So from a media product point of view, it's a great story. And it would be a brave journalist who turned their back on that. What did you begin to find out once you started looking? Well, you see, I had the advantage because when that paper was published, I was at the time researching retrospectively an earlier scare over the DTP vaccine, the diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis vaccine, which had broken out in the 1970s, the 1980s from another doctor at another hospital in London. The doctor there alleged that he'd found a cohort of children who developed what was then called permanent brain damage. What he did, he got two junior doctors to go through the hospital's vaults and to pull out specifically those cases where brain illness came on within 14 days of the DTP vaccine. Brian's previous work on that other anti-vaccine scam meant he was more alert than most others to certain telltale patterns. I recognised that Wakefield's paper was claiming that Of these 12 children that came to the hospital, eight of them, their parents said, towards the effect of my child was developing perfectly normally, took him for his MMR, and within 14 days, my child was showing the first symptoms of autism. And I recognised the coincidence of this 14 days. Two completely different illnesses and two totally different vaccines yet the exact same 14 days for the children to develop the symptoms. And I thought, well, that's a bit odd, because even then I knew that the DTP vaccine, which was the suspect was the pertussis component, and it was a big, dirty bacterium 
killed with formalin. And that's basically how it worked. Whereas the MMR vaccine was three live viruses, very different technology. And yet there was this coincidence of this 14 days. And that made me very suspicious because I thought, well, that's extraordinary coincidence. It made me then start to look around at uh, other aspects of the study and to gradually build up a picture of how Wakefield had done it. Now, by early 2004, only a few months after the Bonneville-Stevenson film was released, Brian could show that Wakefield's MMR autism link was not some amazing scientific discovery, but a more or less pre-planned conclusion. Brian had discovered that two years before the 1998 publication of his research, Wakefield had accepted a deal to work for a lawyer to establish a legal case against MMR. Furthermore, Brian established that several of the children, far from having been referred by their GPs, were already potential litigants. As if that wasn't enough, it turned out that in 1997, Wakefield had patented his own single measles vaccine alternative to MMR. And even that wasn't all. And more than that, the, the, the lawyer was also issuing documents telling them that the Legal Aid Board would only fund cases where there was a close link up in time between the receipt of the vaccine and the first appearance of symptoms. So that clustering of like within 14 days, these parents knew. I'm not saying the lawyer told them what to say. I'm just saying this lawyer told them what needed to be said if they wanted to get legal aid, which is that there was a close link between when the child received the vaccine and when the first signs of a problem came on. So the parents knew. So in other words, the parents had an incentive to tell Wakefield, so he could put it in the research notes, that their children had had the first signs of a reaction to the MMR virus within 14 days, knew that that was the thing that they should tell him if they wanted a better chance of getting compensation. Yes, they needed to say that because, you see, the legal aid authorities at the time were working on the same assumption that Wakefield and this lawyer were working under, which is that it would be kind of the same as with the DTP, because the, the DTP had been the subject of big lawsuits funded by legal aid. So the people, everybody, everybody involved had this idea that it would need to be like the last one. And I came along thinking that to me is a, is a warning sign because the technologies of the vaccine are, are different. So both Wakefield and the parents, even before or as he was undertaking the research, had an incentive to describe their children in a particular way and for a particular result to be found. They have financial incentives to do that. Yes, yes, exactly. In February 2004, Brian published a front page article in the Sunday Times, a sensational splash in newspaper terms, calling out the Wakefield hoax. Wakefield? wasn't happy. Oh, he said it's all lies. He said he had no conflict of interest. The children uh, weren't recruited for, and he maintains this to this day, there was no conflict of interest. The children were not recruited for research purposes. They were just clinical cases that he never became involved with the lawyers until after the paper was uh, published or the children had been seen at the hospital, all of which we can show are untrue. We can show that he actually signed up agreement to work for this lawyer on the same day as the first letter from a doctor sent uh, a letter into the Royal Free saying, thank you for asking to see this young boy. 
Wakefield began legal proceedings. Lawyers' letters appeared. Brian, who was making a dispatches programme with Channel 4 on the subject, began to spend a lot of time with Malerned friends. But when it came to it, Wakefield seemed strangely reluctant to go to court. The judge, Mr Justice Eady, God bless him, said that, that it appeared that this litigation had been brought for public relations purposes because Wakefield was trying to freeze it or stay it in legal language whilst the General Medical Council carried out an investigation and Channel 4 and I said, no, no, if you say you're suing us and you go around telling people you're suing us, then you need to sue us. And we got a court order compelling him to go to trial against us or discontinue. And he did discontinue a year later after Channel 4 spent 800000 pounds on the action. They recovered it from his side, though. They got their money back. Wakefield's actions would help Brian's investigation, as his lawyers were forced by the legal process to hand over critical information to Brian's lawyers. So these documents were handed over, and and I was sitting there one day in my lawyer's uh, offices reading summary documents from Wakefield's research, and I spotted within those essentially uh, the, the evidence that he'd falsified the diagnoses. What happened was that the documents that were handed over to us were all redacted of their names and and personal details off the front of it. But inside, some possibly poorly paid legal assistant had failed to redact the children's names from a pathology report. So I could match, I could do what Wakefield's own colleagues couldn't do because they didn't know which child was which. When that paper was published, they didn't know what they were signing up to because they didn't know which child was which, couldn't remember them anyway. But I could now match up that child with the history uh, that Wakefield's own team had on that child. And it was clear that he'd falsified the, uh, the diagnosis. There was at least one child whose problems had clearly started before MMR, and he knew that, but he changed it in the description of the child so that it was reversed. Yes, yes. And I'm sitting there in my lawyer's office thinking, ah, yeah, well, I better go to that general medical council hearing when it comes up because they're likely going to go through this again. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
it comes through from your book that even before you'd begun, some people at the Royal Free Hospital were worried about Wakefield, very worried about him, actually. It also comes through that a lot of other people in the medical establishment knew that he must be wrong, but didn't quite know how he had done it. And the thing that amazes me is that actually the person who has to unpick this is not the medical profession itself, but you. Yeah, yeah, strange, isn't it? I mean, it does does kind of suggest that maybe journalism has got a role in society. I think that's absolutely right. And I think the British Medical Journal were quite fulsome in that when they published a whole series of reports by me following up on the Sunday Times stuff for a a medically qualified audience, where they they basically did say that it, it took somebody from outside medicine to see this. One of the things you say in the book was you actually covered the first death from measles for many years, which happened as a result of the diminution of uptake in in MMR, which was directly caused by Wakefield. So here's a huge, huge question. And yet they don't seem to have done the diligence, which was proportionate to the size of the public health problem they were going to have. Well, I guess you see, I mean, to be fair, it's difficult to think how they would do it, because at the time there was this huge media furore going on about it. People didn't want to put their heads above the parapet to to turn around and say, well, we suspect this is fraudulent. They would have needed some kind of mechanism, because the first thing is. They, the medical establishment and people reading this paper, they didn't know who the children were either. And this is the thing you you have with anonymized biomedical research. And that's what ultimately interested me. You know, big media uses that stuff because the publishers of these journals, although they're massive multinational corporations, don't directly compete. So newspapers are quite happy to run this stuff. But people don't realize that anonymized biomedical research, you just get the text on the page. You can't go and examine the, the data that lies behind it. And I think that something needs to be done about that to make it possible for people to be challenged. But the medical profession doesn't want to do that. They don't want as well. They don't want to have spot checks on laboratories. I think that there should be spot checks on laboratories and they should have a special office where they have a team of people who go out and check laboratories. Just like schools are checked, prisons are checked, restaurants are checked but not laboratories where life and death research is going on. There are no checks that where somebody would turn up and say, well, okay, you're doing this project. Sorry to interrupt. Don't mean to inconvenience you, but can we see the data? Can we see what's going on here? We want to do an audit. Now, medical establishment, medical journals will not hear about that. And I think that's a problem. Brian, let's move on to the present day. So you did this huge story in 2004. You followed up with subsequent stories, another very big, huge tranche in 2009. And you essentially showed the world how this had been done and what Wakefield was. And in the end, the medical establishment was forced to agree with you that Wakefield was a fraud. He left Britain, didn't he, in, what, 2001, 2002? It's difficult to actually put a date on it when his furniture moved. But he didn't fully move until 2007. That was when he finally cut off his roots. But yeah, he was migrating over that time. Yeah. In 2007, Wakefield was struck off by the General Medical Council nine years after his paper was first published in The Lancet. The Lancet itself didn't retract the article until 2010. But in the United States, he began to rebuild his life, his livelihood, 
and among some, his reputation. Well, he got over there. He was meant to start a a new centre for research in Florida, and that fell apart. So then he moved to Texas and he set up a business in Texas funded by basically rich women with children who have developmental issues. And that achieved nothing at all. But he was then fired from that within about, I think it was about three hours of the General Medical Council verdict. I think they almost threw his belongings out the windows. I mean, it was very, very sudden. He was scrubbed from the website within hours. And then he suddenly got a lifeline thrown to him when somebody at the scientist at the US government Center for Disease Control decided to shoot his mouth off to a parent involved in an American lawsuit And that parent was in cahoots with Wakefield. They recorded this scientist and then they pretended that the scientist had alleged fraud at the CDC in Atlanta, Georgia, in research on on the MMR vaccine. I mean, he didn't make any allegation of fraud, but nevertheless, Wakefield made a a 90 minute video alleging that uh, he had. And this video, he managed to get Robert De Niro to endorse live on the Today Show on uh, the NBC network. And... um, That was just explosively successful and has led to essentially Wakefield's rebirth in the United States as a a new guru on vaccines. And he's at the moment socially engaged with the Australian supermodel Elle McPherson. You've been famous for over 30 years. Well, that goes to show you how old I am. No, no. (laughs) So I just I'm 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 54. I'm turning 55 in a few months. And I started modeling when I was 18. And so I've been doing this a long time. Quite how that relationship stands at the moment, I don't know. But he's in Florida. She's in Florida, in Miami. Some people say that that she's keeping him slightly at a distance. And then the other thing he's doing is he's now trying to stir up trouble over the efforts to develop a COVID-19 vaccine, as if Andrew Wakefield would know anything about these things, because you know, he has no relevant qualifications. He's not an epidemiologist, vaccinologist, you know, immunologist. He's got no no relevant experience. He's not he's not even a doctor anymore. But that's what he's doing. He's trying to stir up trouble over that. So he's gone from being the anti-MMR doctor to being the anti-vaccination altogether doctor. Yes, he's broadened his portfolio, but he has to do that in order to survive because for the last 20 years, he's looked to these parents for his income and opportunities and sense of self-worth and fulfilment. So he's had to broaden it out and he now speaks against any vaccine. In fact, he says very definitely if he had a child today, he wouldn't vaccinate them. So he is anti-vaccine. And that's a development that has gone on in his life. Now, at various times in the recent past, he's actually been quite close to the world of the new politics of you might call it, of, of populism, hasn't he? I mean, uh, you more or less start the book with him in a room in January 2017. He's trying to ingratiate himself in Trump's network. He got an opportunity to meet Trump during the campaign. So I met him once before the election when he was running for the presidency. He interjected and said, you don't need to tell me that vaccines cause autism. I've seen it. I've seen it personally. Because they were both, at the same time as Trump was campaigning for the White House, Wakefield was campaigning with this this video he'd made alleging that there was fraud at the CDC and they were practically crossing each other uh, with with Trump flying above and, and Wakefield on the road. They were both out looking for 
people who would be susceptible to their message, which in, in Trump's case would be the, you know, specifically a target group would be the white working class. And in, in Wakeford's case, specifically his target group would be uh, parents of children with developmental issues. And these were both groups that, who felt marginalized and, and hard done by, understandably. And we've had so many instances, people that worked for me just the other day, two years old, two and a half years old, a child, a beautiful child, went to have the vaccine and came back and a week later got a tremendous fever, got very, very sick, now is autistic. And so Wakeford has been trying to get into that. He's often hinted that people should vote for uh, the Republicans because he says that the Democrats will introduce compulsory vaccination. So, yes, he's trying to ally himself with that movement. And we've entered a period where there's all this talk about um, fake news and, and facts being in dispute and facts being slippery and and lying and a manipulation, all that kind of stuff, which is wasn't true of the political agenda in quite the same way years back. And in many ways, I think that Wakefield kind of is a as an icon for that, because he absolutely denies that he did anything wrong, that his contract with the firm of lawyers to do exactly the same work that was published in The Lancet wasn't a conflict of interest at all. He denies it. He denies another a, a finding we had, which was that he'd patented his own vaccine at the time he was attacking MMR. He just simply denies it all. And, and here's the point. Thousands of people believe him. Yes, yes. It's almost a spirit of our time that, that the people have discovered that the more outlandish and incredible the allegations they make, the way that the internet works and the World Wide Web works and the way the algorithms can uh, pick up on particular pieces of information, the more incredible and more outlandish, then the more these ideas spread and are believed. He is an icon for our time in that respect. Many times when there have been measles outbreaks around the world and there have been an increasing number, it's likely that some lucrative interventions from Wakefield will have preceded a fall in vaccination rates. I wonder if or when the COVID-19 vaccine arrives, what impact the ever-active Andrew Wakefield will have. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Brian Deer, an investigative reporter. Brian's book, The Doctor Who Fooled the World, Andrew Wakefield's War on Vaccines, is out now. And you can read more of Brian's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers were Leona Hamid and Will Rowe. Executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Nicholas Rawfast. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast and now we're available on the Times Radio app along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio on your app store. See you soon. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 